This is Company, I'm Sky Manson, a podcast profiling ambitious women everywhere, be it in the bush or our cities. Today's guest, Louise Fitzroy, is a good friend and a total wonder woman. She lives her life between her family farm at Gyra in the New South Wales, New England, and wait for it, the Cayman Islands. She does so many things. She's successfully infiltrating schools all over Australia with her paddock to plate curriculum. She's a published author. She owns and runs an online yoga platform. And to boot, she's won a Walkley. She's a total overachiever, but she's sweet as pie at the same time and such good fun as well. Hi, I'm Louise Fitzroy. I currently live in the Cannon Islands. I run a health and wellness business there called The Active Life. I also am the founder of From Paddock to Plate here in Australia. It's a food and fibre education program uh, run nationally, predominantly for schools, but we're now opening it up for everyone else. Um, so that's really, really exciting times for us. So I feel pretty lucky because, well, Lou and I know each other from a few different avenues in life but I can't believe I'm chatting to someone who actually lives in the Cayman Islands is that you call that (laughs) home right now yeah it is I know I never thought I would say that six years ago and you know what it's been six years oh my gosh wow so yeah six years ago my husband well he was no he was my boyfriend at the time oh my gosh you know how (laughs) time flies (laughs) I've got to remember we decided to make the move and it was for his work mainly, um, my husband now, he's my husband, he um, is a lawyer. And uh, at the time, we had a couple of friends living in the Cayman Islands. They made it sound so amazing. I mean, how could you not? The beaches, the beautiful water, the climate, the cocktails. That's what we thought. That's what we thought at the time. But, you know, we didn't know where the Cayman Islands were. I mean, that's how naive we were, you know, we, we live down here in Australia, we had no idea where the Cayman Islands were at the time, but it sounded really appealing. Our friends made it sound great. And so um, we made the move uh, to this tiny, tiny island in the Caribbean, um, below Cuba and west of Jamaica. It, to be honest, it's only about an hour flight from Miami, so it's not too from, far from the US. But this island, it is 35 kilometres long, 13 kilometres wide. It has a population of about 65,000 people now. Um, so we got there, yeah, I think it's either Tamworth maybe, um, oh. the population of Tamworth, I should say. And so, yeah, we, we got there and it, it was a re- real eye-opener. Um, but, you know, it draws you in. We thought, oh, two years, give us two years. You know, that's all we need. And now I'm here six years later going, oh, six years later, you know, we've kind of made it home. And it's great. It's been really, really fun. Lots of opportunities. It's been a great way to travel to different parts of the world. Um, it's opened a lot of, you know, different, um, you know, opportunities, as I said, for us. You know, when we got there, um, yeah, I'm a former journalist, as you know, guys from our time in Western Australia. And so just deciding what to do when I got there, you know, there's not very much um, journalism there. You know, they had a TV station there that is no longer. They've got a couple of radio stations, 
but on such a small island, there's not that much news to report on. So I had to think outside the square of what I would do. Um, I had my yoga teaching um, degree under my belt. So yeah, I went ahead and opened up my own, um, at the time, a yoga business, which has now expanded into a health and wellness company. Why was it so eye-opening? Because, first of all, the weather. Uh, we got there in the middle of summer. And coming from Gaira, might I just say, where, you know, we have the highest caravan park in Australia here in Gaira. Like, we're very proud of that. I think that's one of our claim to fame. Where, you know, it snows in winter. It's pretty chilly here um, for a lot of the year. Arriving in the midst of summer in the Caribbean, I remember going for my first run putting on my joggers going, yeah, great, I'm going to go for a run. I think I went 500 metres down the road and I had to stop and walk home. It was so hot, so humid. I was dripping in sweat going, what is happening? What is going on? Couldn't breathe. Yeah, it was, it, it, that, that was a real eye. I think getting used to the climate and the temperature was, it was a big thing. And so that for one. Secondly, being on a small island. So coming from Australia, where we are a big island and moving to such a small island, again, a huge eye-opener. You can't just go out and ride your motorbike across paddocks and paddocks and, you know, in the wide open spaces. There's just none, none of that there. Um, there are very few parks. Um, and I initially thought it was quite claustrophobic. I felt a little bit claustrophobic. And it's great. It is a small community. Everyone knows everyone. but again. That can have its positives and its negatives. You know, I can't go supermarket shopping in my traffic. Well, you know, I can, but, you know, you've got to run into about 20 different people that you know. So just a few things that, you know, for me, being a country girl from Australia and then, you know, finding myself in that community, uh, which is a great community, um, and that environment, uh, it was just, it was, it was different, it was, was completely different. And what are the people like there? They're wonderful. They are. They're, they're what you know. They're islanders. They're 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 lovely. They're friendly. They're welcoming. They're supportive, and you know that's that's great. You know we we are expats. There is a large expat community on the island. A lot of Aussies. You know you feel right at home there. Um, a lot of South Africans and a lot of New Zealanders. We are a British overseas territory, so a lot of the Commonwealth countries. You'll find a lot of people from those countries are in living in the Cayman Islands. And the local community is fantastic as well. You know, they are, they're very welcoming and open. Um, everyone is in the same boat. So, you know, when you move to the Cayman Islands, uh, as I said, it, there are a lot of changes and a lot of differences um, that you have to sort of acclimatise to. But everyone has done it. Um, everyone's been through it. And I think that's really lovely is that the locals are welcoming and then the expats have been through what you're going through. And so they're so supportive and everyone's there to help each other. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's really lovely. We've made such a wonderful group of friends. And what are the main industries there? Finance industry is a big one. And then the fishing industry, of course. So we have such a deep, um, you know, it drops um, quite deeply just off the shore, which allows for such phenomenal deep sea fishing, such as swordfish, mahi-mahi, um, wahoo, um, Marlin, and so you know, it's it's it opens up such great opportunities for um, you know fishermen to, and we get fishermen from all over the world coming to to, to fish in the waters, obviously sustainably. Um, but yeah, so that has been such a huge part, um, a huge industry in Cayman uh, since the beginning, and a huge part of their culture. 
Um, but now, of course, the finance sector is coming into play. And, you know, that's obviously where my, my husband works at the moment within the finance industry. And now that is also um, becoming a huge part. Tourism as well is a huge industry in the Cayman Islands. So I think the top three would be fishing, tourism and finance. And tell me about Active Life, what what it is and what you do. From this end, it just looks like beautiful yoga on awesome <laughs> beaches and that's all it really needs to be as far as <laughs> So you don't see the sweat running down my face when yes. I'm halfway through filming into my eyes. No, it is. It's magical, honestly, and I'm definitely it's it's it is it it is breathtaking and I often have to stop myself and just look around and and soak it up because I understand that like I'm so grateful and it is just a phenomenal um part of the world to be but you know living of course but to be but to be running a health and wellness industry as well because the environment is just so conducive to being outside and being active and being fit and being healthy and um you know I saw that opportunity there when I got there to arrive to the Cayman Islands there was a bit of a gap that could be fulfilled and we could make the most of the environment in Cayman and promote the beautiful beaches that that they have there to to people around the world and uh active life could could help do that um First of all, by starting our online classes, which was prompted, of course, um, during the pandemic uh, to encourage people at home to practice yoga and Pilates and cardio. Uh, But then, you know, to be able to film these videos and these classes on the beautiful beaches that we have is just a way to boost your mood as well and your morale. And I think it's such a fitting backdrop for fitness classes to just have the beautiful beach and the blue sky. It's very uplifting and motivating um, and inspiring. And that's why every single one of our classes on the online studio that we have are all filmed outdoors in different locations around the Caribbean, around, around the Cayman Islands. And um, we find that, we think that, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty special. So the active life started... Um, as a means to provide more active experiences into homes, firstly around Cayman and then, as I said, around the world. And now through that, we run corporate wellness programs for all the different office spaces on the island. We run wellness programs for developments where a lot of the residents live in their complexes And we hold and host a lot of different private classes that are tailored to suit individual needs. So we have found a lot of ways to encourage people to move in workplaces and at home. And so, um, you know, that's that's great. You know, the more people we can get active, obviously, um, it's wonderful. And I think particularly during... At uh, the time we were in lockdown and people needed that, that it really helped them at the time. So was it, did you always plan for it to be online? No. Originally the idea, we started out just teaching people face-to-face in Cayman, on the beach, outdoors, and we have a beautiful space um, down at a place called Sunset House, Uh, which says it all. I think it has some of the most spectacular views of the sunset in Cayman. And we hold two public classes there a week. And we started out with three people and now we're getting over 30 down there in each class. And so I think people now really want to practice outdoors. I think they're they're really wanting, you know, 
how can you not want to be outside, you know, in the beautiful spaces that the Caribbean um, has available to you? And so we're finding that our outdoor classes and our outdoor spaces are getting really, really popular. And then that's what then encouraged us to go online, not only because people were stuck at home a lot, you know, which they have been for the last two years, but just so that we could also showcase um, just the beautiful spaces in the Caribbean. And to be honest, since we've started doing that, we've had so many friends asking us uh, for advice on how to move to the Cayman Islands. So <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're encouraging people through our Instagram channel. I've got friends looking at Instagram going, how can I get there? What can I do? What kind of jobs? So yeah, we're trying to recruit as many friends as we can to I Cayman. Think, um now that you are online, it probably is a bit of a no-brainer because you're totally selling. People are buying into not only the yoga practice, um, but the space too and that bit of escapism. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. You know, if you're at work and you're stuck inside and, you know, or it's raining outside and you're, you're, you're in the middle of winter and it's cold and it's freezing, you know, and you need, um, you need a break, uh, from all of that, then the best thing that you can do is go online, go onto the Active Life online studio and just soak up those beautiful beaches. You know, mm-hmm. honestly, it's, it's, and it will inspire you to move. It will, it will, it will make you feel good, first of all. And then, you know, it'll inspire you to move and it's morale boosting, um, it's confidence boosting. And yeah, it just simply makes you feel good. But this is not the only string to your bow, Lou. Um, I just don't know how you do it all, but you also have From Paddock to Plate back in Australia. What is that all about? From Paddock to Plate is um, it's Australia's largest independent um, food education program. We started running it oh, probably about 10 years ago. Um, and it's a online platform again of over 500 different resources that include, you know, virtual farm tours and masterclasses teaching specific skills. Um, We have, you know, farmer profiles and case studies. And then we have, you know, we go down the school track of, you know, lesson plans and podcast packs and homework comprehension. So it's a really comprehensive um, program of resources to help people understand where their food comes from but also just importantly just as importantly um, find ways to be a part of that experience and, and, and part of that journey so we are trying to develop ways that people can experience have experiences within from paddock to plate regarding food and fiber production and once they they have those experiences and they join you know the the ride through the emotions of joy and heartache that comes with farming and agriculture and all the rest, that they would be inspired then to be a part of that journey, whether that is through a career there or supporting local, promoting on their social media, whatever way that they want to be a part of the food and fibre journeys that there are so many of in Australia, that's, that's our main aim is to provide those experiences to encourage and inspire people just to be a part of it in some way or form Um, that is most convenient and available to them. So what would that look like? Just an excursion to a farm or more than that? It could, yeah, exactly. It could start off with an excursion to a farm um, and then it could be, so for example, we have virtual farm tours where we'll go out to different farms or different businesses around the country 
and follow that journey um, from start to finish, you know, with the producer or the expert or whoever we're with, and they'll show us how it's done. So we're, we're trying to bring experiences to people if they can't get there themselves. So if people can't get to a certain location, um, you know, if they live on the other side of the country or they don't grow, they don't grow up in a region where there's dairy, instead they grow up in a region where there's wheat. They can still experience the dairy industry through our program. Now, once they experience that program through a virtual farm tour, they might be say, okay, well, look, that's great. Um, you know, I want to find more about my, my dairy products, for example, and they'll go to the supermarket and maybe they'll look at the packaging and decide, okay, do I want to get Australian? Do I not? You know, and that's up to them. It's, it's, there's no right or wrong. We're just raising awareness and want people just to be, just to be aware of the food that they're purchasing um, and where it's coming from. Then if they want to go further, it could be okay. Look, I've watched the dairy video. That sounds amazing. And you know what? There are some really cool skills in there that the farmer is utilising. But then, then, then perhaps go to our masterclass section of the program. And in that section, we have all these really cool specific masterclasses that take people through different skills and teach them different skills within different industries. Um, for example, how to read a GPS when you're sowing wheat or how to train a working dog. Or um, what was one? Oh, how to how to breed your own wheat? How to do your own wheat breeding? It's amazing. It's how to how to distill lavender oil for goodness sake. You know, like there, there are so many cool skills that people can do that you don't have to grow up on a farm to be able to learn these skills. You can do them anywhere, and we need people to realize that that you know what you don't have to grow up in the country or on a farm to to learn these skills at all. Um, and then what we're finding is that once these people undertake these masterclasses and learn these skills, they're like, hang on, I'm, I'm actually really good at this. This is so cool. And then they can look at our career section that we have. And there we interview so many different people that hold different careers. And that's where we're hoping people go, okay, great. You know what? I never thought that I would pursue a career in ag, but you know what? this is totally up my alley and this is this is what I want to do. And it doesn't mean that you have to be a farmer. You know, we've got rural lawyers, we've got, you know, soil scientists, biologists, you know, uh, the sky is the limit. But I think sometimes people pigeonhole fa the farming industry um, sometimes and, uh, you know, a few stereotypes and we're just trying to blow that apart and just say, you know what, no way. Like there are so many ways you can be part of the food and fibre production journey in Australia no matter where you live, no matter where, what area of the country you grew up in, you can be a part of it. And there are skills that you can learn and we don't want people to miss out on those opportunities. More infectiousness from Lou in just a moment, but right now a word from today's sponsor. Reading the newspaper is a total sensory experience with its jagged edges and ink that somehow finds its way onto your fingers. And I think this is part of what makes it the perfect medium for the emotive stories of Bush Journal. I would have to say that I've never seen a more beautiful newspaper. As with most country publications, I do devour it as soon as it arrives uh, on my doorstep or in the mailbox. And then I leave it to sit pretty on my desk or the kitchen table, you know, right where people can see it until my next edition arrives. I am so honestly 
so inspired by what this team has created and the beauty of it. Bush Journal was started by a group of female photographers and it explores life beyond the city limits through spectacular photography and heartfelt words. Every issue meets station managers, silversmiths and entrepreneurs who challenge the stereotype of what it means to live in the bush, while also revealing the very human conditions that unite us all. Bush Journal is offering company listeners a 40% discount on any purchase with the code COMPANY40. That is COMPANY40 at the checkout. Bushjournal.com.au So you're also sort of transitioning, or not transitioning, but growing from paddock to plate. What will be new about it in the coming years? We've just revised the entire, I guess, subscription system. Originally, it started as a school program, which that's a great base. And we have so many teachers across the country using our program, hundreds of students are using our resources at the moment that's so wonderful and exciting Uh, and now we have realized that it's not just students who need the resources we're getting requests from individuals whether they uh, be parents at home wanting to increase nutritional knowledge um, with their children at home and for themselves wanting to learn how to cook an egg in 10 different ways you know, it's not, you, you don't just boil an egg, do you? I mean, you can fry an egg, you can make meringue, you can make a pavlova, you can make an omelette. Like there are so many ways to utilize one food, you know, vegetables. You don't just have to steam your vegetables. Like, you know, you can get like steamed vegetables. Okay, great. But what about pickling your vegetables or preserving your vegetables? And the same with fruit. So we look at all the different ways that you can maximize the use of one food item in your household to avoid food waste, um, to be a little bit more self-sufficient. And so that's really exciting in the home scene. But then we're now looking at agribusiness. And if you're a member of agribusiness, whether you work in agribusiness, whether a family member is in agribusiness, we've now developed a network where they can go on and expand their contacts, build their own network of contacts around Australia within their own industries. So we have our own farmer network on the program as well now. Uh, And then I guess the big direction that we really want to take is looking at careers. So now we're looking at those those people who are at uni doing tertiary education or have left school and looking looking at what career they want to embark on but aren't exactly sure. And so we're saying, okay, you know, take a look at the program learn some of the skills we have there and look at all the different career options um, that we have. You know, we interview people on the program. We've got so many people that started out um, living in the city that are now, you know, maybe living in the country or maybe not living in the country, but working ag in some shape or form. So we do a lot of those type of interviews as well, just to show people and inspire people about the different directions you can take uh, in ag, um, no matter where you live in Australia. It's so all-encompassing. It's just amazing. Don't tell me that you do this all on your own, do you? Yes, pretty much. I mean, I guess I am standalone um, team of contractors, curriculum writers 
who fill in the gaps where I have very limited expertise. So without them, the program would not be what it is today. And Lou, where did you grow up? I grew up on the outskirts of Gyra in the New England of um, northeastern New South Wales on a cattle and sheep property. So we have merinos, prime lamb and Angus cattle. And fabulous, yeah, grew up here on on the farm um, with my mum and dad, siblings. And, yeah, it was fabulous. Really enjoyed um, growing up. Uh, on the farm what were your days like as a kid growing up on the farm were you put to work oh oh yes from a very very young age we would pack our lunch and go out for the entire day um, on the farm and it was like they were the best days ever when we could eat our lunch in the paddock and uh, just be outdoors all day Um, it was phenomenal you know Um, just so many wonderful experiences in the shearing shed, you know, my job was to press the wool and, you know, just falling asleep at the end of the day in a big pile of wool, just phenomenal and coming home just smelling like lanolin. Nothing better to mum's lamb's roast, you know, like it was, it, they're just uh, such wonderful, wonderful memories. What we used to ride our push bikes across the paddock to catch the school bus, which was half an hour or an hour to our um, local public school um, being swooped by magpies in spring on our bikes, you know, um, and building cubby houses up in the paddock, uh, you know, it was just such fantastic memories um, of, of growing up in, in the country that I think is what keeps drawing me back to, well, which was really the first inspiration behind From Paddock to Plate. And which is why I'm so passionate about uh, developing and enhancing and improving the program because the experiences that I had when I was growing up, I really want to be able to share with with people because it was such a wonderful childhood, such a wonderful childhood. Did you think you would be, what did you want to be when you were growing up? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think I wanted to be on the farm. I think I wanted to be a farmer. Absolutely, 100%. That's exactly what I wanted to be. No question whatsoever. I wanted to be like mum and dad and be out on the farm every day, um, working with the animals, uh, being in wide open spaces. And that was always, always what I wanted to do. And then I think, you know, when I got to high school, I said, you know, you, you start to see what other opportunities are out there. And, but, but I think, I've always had the idea of coming back to the land and being involved in farming in some aspect, always in the back of my mind. So I think whatever I wanted to do, it would always have an element of that. And I think that's, you know, why From Paddock to Plate was born. And that was the main reason. What I love now is that we use such a good example of it. Like as you're growing up as a child, you're so, you, you are, your life is so intertwined in farming and then you leave, and as a female particularly, to return to the farm is not always as easy as that, but you can still um, keep your involvement in agriculture in so many, so many yep. different facets. 
but you did have a time as a journo with the ABC. So did you study to become a journalist? I studied sports media at Canberra Uni. I love sport. As you know, Sky, we played mm-hmm. hockey together. We, mm-hmm. we both love sport and I've, I've always loved it, always loved sport. And in fact, my first year out of school, I did a gap year in Japan and I you know, wasn't sure whether I'd go to uni or what I wanted to do. Um, so mum, in fact, found this course and suggested it. And I thought, okay, great. Like, you know, I'll give it a go and did it, loved it. And that's when then I embarked on my first job with the ABC, not, not as a sports journo, but as a news journo, which then ventured me into, which, as you say, you know, you'll always go back to your roots because I started in news and literally six months later, I found myself as a rural reporter. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help it. I think as all my news stories had a rural focus. So eventually the ABC was like, oh gosh, just give her the rural gig. Like, come on. So, so yeah. So then that's when I became a rural reporter in Scone in the Hunter Valley. And then they, I just started cruising around Australia. I worked in Tamworth, Alice Springs, Port Lincoln, ended up in Bunbury where you were at the time, which is awesome. And yeah, just rural reporting. And, and that was really the backbone of From Paddock to Plate. I had no idea at the time, but that was actually how From Paddock to Plate became. Mm. Because you're Isn't that crazy? a published author as well. You have a book. Yes, from paddock to plate. Wow, isn't that funny? What a what a really interesting name. <laughs> I really thought outside the square there. Because while in Bunbury, I don't know if you remember our series called the Cold SB Challenge, where it was, yeah, how could you not? It was, you know, that one episode a week where we, my friend who's who is a winemaker, Gavin Carhill and I would hit the road. He he's from Margaret River, and we hit the road and we'd visit a different farm every week. And say it was an apple orchard, um, Donnybrook, of course, you know, well-known for apples. So we, we go to Donnybrook and we go to an apple orchard and we'd harvest the apples with the farmer. And then we would put all the apples in our esky and take them down to the local bakery and ask the baker to make an apple pie. And then Gavin would match a wine with the apple pie. And that was one episode of the cold esky challenge. We, you know, we went truffle hunting. We went collecting honey. We did some really cool stuff. And at the end of the year, um, we decided to publish all of that material and content into the book, which is From Paddock to Plate. You're really making me so many things, nostalgic, hungry, excited. (laughs) It's just such a good project. Um, Do you miss your reporting days? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I always think, oh, you know, I really, I'd love to get back into it, um, in some way, you know, I really do. I really do miss this guy. Yes. You have a podcast now. Is that right? Yes, I do. Guess what it's called? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, is yes. It, what does it focus on within your um, paddock to plate world? So the, the main focus behind the podcast is to introduce people to wonderful entrepreneurs and innovators who don't have much, well, who don't specifically work in the ag industry, but are doing things with produce 
that open people's minds to different ways to grow food in the industry. So, for example, I interviewed a surfer the other day who had started doing lots of cool stuff with seaweed. You know, he's always out in the surf and obviously comes in contact with a lot of seaweed. And so he was doing some really cool stuff with seaweed in turning it into food, edible foods that people can consume, um, great for nutritional value. But then we got onto the topic of, you know, feeding seaweed to cattle, reducing methane emissions. I mean, there was it was it was a it was a fantastic discussion. And even though originally it was me interviewing a surfer who comes from the city and you know he had no idea of how he would impact um, the ag industry it then just swayed into how he's turning seaweed into edible food items for people to consume and then how that's now developing into a product for cattle mm. for for the for the cattle industry so it's so it, it's not interviewing um obvious people in the ag industry it's trying to find people in our world in our society who are least suspecting to have some kind of impact on the ag industry but they actually are and again this is some way this is all about careers it, it's about trying to encourage people to think outside the square and go you know what you you might not want to be involved in the ag industry or you might not think that you have any involvement in the ag industry but perhaps you actually do and perhaps you just need to ask yourself you know what is my influence and what kind of positive impact am I having and and how can I pursue that further I think that's so cool like you know if you just sit down and think about it there are so many things that you're probably doing that you actually haven't thought about but if you did how far could you take it Mm, I love it oh gosh I haven't fully listened to the podcast yet, so I can't wait. I'm going to town later today and it will be on for sure. Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to ask you about how you run your days in a sec, but I can't let you go without mentioning that you're actually also a Walkley Award winner, one of the highest accolades in journalism in Australia. Tell me about that. This is very unique and special and incredible. Very, very special. Um, this experience came obviously at a very difficult time. Um, I just arrived in Melbourne after leaving Bunbury. I decided that perhaps I'd had enough of journalism just for the time being. I just needed a break. And so I had enrolled in a yoga teaching course in Melbourne at the Australian Yoga Academy. And I was in my first lecture and my phone kept ringing and I thought, oh gosh, you know, it's an emergency. I must answer it. So I answered and it was the ABC and they'd, you know, tracked me to Melbourne and just said, look, Louise, we understand you're in Melbourne, um, but, you know, there are some pretty significant bushfires burning um, in Victoria right now. Could you please, um, you can just start reporting on them. Please just start you know, doing some bushfire um, reporting, um, emergency reporting. So I, I dropped everything and, of course, um, went out. My first stop was at Whittlesea. And so this was Black Saturday. This was actually on Black Saturday in 2009, February 2009. And so I started reporting um, and I didn't, I didn't come back to Melbourne for a month or so. Luckily, I had my swag in the booth and I... I just I just went from one location to the next reporting and just trying to help as 
just trying to provide people with as much information as possible about what was going on. Um, and I got back to Melbourne and went into the ABC office and they said, we are going to set up um, an emergency uh, makeshift office in up in King Lake. And we'd like you to go up there and present a breakfast show every morning um, with a, a colleague, Simon Rogers, who is fantastic. And so we, we presented a breakfast and a morning show um, every weekday in, in, from King Lake um, in, a, in one of the only buildings left standing. It was a neighbourhood centre. And they set up the cherry picker there and they set the um, transmitter up in the cherry picker to try and get as much coverage as we could across the mountains. When we arrived, obviously, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it, it was a very difficult time, obviously, for the community. And, you know, they didn't want us to be there. And, and it, you know, it was, it was tough um, because they were obviously trying to recover and, and just understand, you know, the loss that many had suffered. So we set about getting to know the community um, you know, we spent hours just walking from house to house, trying to meet people and see what they needed, see what help they wanted, or if we could support them in any way. And we began the breakfast show um, and we, it took us a bit of time, you know, but then we started to realise that there were so many incredible artists and musicians that lived in the area. And so we thought, how can we utilise this wonderful music and talent in the area. So then we started to, and, and wonderful cooks as well. So we started to invite these musicians and these artists onto the show and just said, can you just play? Can you, can you just play some music? Can you just play anything that you like? And this was such an incredible way to um, give them a purpose, give them a reason to want to be there, to want to stay in King Lake, to want to help their community. It, it made people tune in um, to give them some hope. And we invited people to come and cook in the, in the kitchen there. And so we would cook together and this would all be on the airways. We, we would record it all. And then people would come down and have a cup of tea and have a chat. And then with these school students, with their children, we asked them to write down what they'd experienced. Just write it down. You don't need to say it. Just, just write down some words. They would write down what they had experienced and then we would invite them to read that on air. And you could just see this weight just lifting off their shoulders because finally they were able to express a lot of emotions that they'd had pent up for so long. And, you know, that was incredible. Yeah, it was a really tough time. But, you know, it was, it was just, you know, I'm so glad that we could do something. Just, I don't think I've ever asked, knowing what you had, had done in such great detail. Um, and isn't it amazing that you, like I'm right in thinking there was really no plan and you just had to think on your feet and go with what yeah. felt, what, what, um, what people responded well to. How long were you there yeah. for? We we did that for three months. So we had the we had the station going for three months, um, and then and then um, it was fantastic because we then handed it over to the community. We handed the radio station over to the community, and uh, I remember that night. It was just in, uh, wonderful, mm -hmm. and they're still running it today. 
they're okay. still running this this radio station today and i i'm just so thrilled i mean they're such a resilient community of course and and um just it's wonderful and every time I, i'm back in victoria i always go through for a drive and catch up with people there and it's great to see the radio station still running it's it's it, it obviously means that it it was a uh, an important part of their community and that makes me feel happy because um it means that we tried and and hopefully we we could help you know um in some in some way so yeah it's wonderful oh that's just incredible you were awarded you and simon were awarded a walkley for that what was that experience like uh it we were not obviously expecting it and um we dedicated it of course to the king lake community and it was um it was, as I said, surprising. Um, we grateful. We were we were grateful, um, but it was more of a tribute. And I think that's that's why it was lovely because it was a tribute mm. to all the people who had suffered right throughout Victoria, not just King Lake, but right throughout Victoria during that time. It was a tribute to them. You know, that's why it was important for us because it, it was a tribute to them and what they'd been through and how they came out the other end and where they are now today. And um, so more than anything, it was a recognition of their resilience and a tribute to, to them. Oh, I love it. Well, congratulations. And, I, yes, it just um, it's so nice to learn a bit more about that and just another string to one of your many, many, many strings that you have I wonder how you fit it all into your days and how your mind ticks over. So are you a, how do you run your days? Are you an early riser? Yes. And that, and that is only because I have 6am yoga class. <laughs> really? So I probably, I probably wouldn't, yeah, I'll be honest. I probably wouldn't be otherwise. No, no. It's just, because, yeah, I do rise early early because I do have early yoga classes that I need to teach um, but I'm but I'm a list person so I I I write lists you should see my desk like I, literally there's lists for every hour that I have in my day and before I go to bed at night I will always write down my list for the next day and the time I have to achieve that goal so I have like you know six o'clock teacher class seven thirty eat breakfast you know and so I have to write down every activity with a time to make sure that I fit it in in that time frame but yes yeah, so I I currently I get up at about you know, 5 five thirty. 30 um, I teach a 6 a.m class I'll come home have you know and I try and dedicate time to eat properly so I'll you know I'll give myself an hour for breakfast to read the newspaper to um, relax and then I'll either have a meeting or another yoga class um, I currently teach about four yoga classes a day and then, um, you know, I run um, and do meetings and organise, um, you know, different clients and things throughout the day. Living in the Cayman Islands, as I said, the time difference is a little bit different. So when I get home at about 6pm, I then, it's about 9am Australian time. So then I start uh, my, my from paddock to plate work and I'll, you know, start making my calls and contacts and, and um, you know, conference meetings and stuff like that. So, um, you know. It's, it's very varied and I, and I feel fortunate for the fact that every day is different, um, you know, and, and I never know what I'm, what I'm going to expect. I, I don't know what to expect every day. So, yeah, it's good. It's a challenge, but it's fun. Do you sleep? 
<laughs> I have little cat naps occasionally. <laughs> when I'm in Shavasana, when I've got all my students lying in Shavasana, you know, the relaxation at the end of the class. Yeah, I often do a little bit of shut eye then. So I get, I get like a good five minutes every, four you know, times a day. every second up. Yeah, four times a day. <laughs> That's good. That's important. Do you have a lot of sleep though? Or are you one of those amazing people that just doesn't need it? No, I do need sleep, Sky. I do. I really, really do. I'm the kind of person that needs a good eight hours. And if I don't get it, then, um, you know, you'll know about it. So I like to, I like to try and get to bed. So I'll try, you know, if I'm getting up at five, well, I mean, it doesn't really happen. So I probably get an average of six hours a night, Mm. but I love sleep. And when I have the opportunity, yes, I will definitely get a full eight. Do you find it hard to wind down after having um, such busy days? Yeah, extremely busy. So uh, at the end of the day, when I finish everything that I need to, I the things that I really like to do is I'll listen to some music. I will do a couple of breathing exercises. I'll often maybe do like a little bit of bedtime yoga, um, you know, five-minute yoga routine. It's not, um, you know, it doesn't take long. And I'll always read a book. Uh, just before I go to bed as well and that's that's really that's a great way to help me go to sleep oh I love that and so Lou in ending what's um what does the next year or two hopefully hold for you that's a great question you know (laughs) and I would like to tell you but I I'm I'm so I'm a really I'm a last minute person you know, I like to work under pressure. So I really, I mean, I've got a lot of ideas in my mind. I would love to tell you them, but no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of ideas for active life and for empathic to play. And I mean, I always have ideas and you know what Sky, half of them never come to fruition, which I guess is the nature of running a business. Um, But I really want to see from paddock to plate expand into different or expand to different audiences and reach different markets to ensure that everyone has an opportunity um, to experience food and fiber journey if they want it I mean that's it it's only about avenues to expand that um, I'd like to say more, but I think it might jinx, I might jinx myself if I do. So I'm, I'm back in Australia for a couple of weeks. I've got quite a few meetings lined up and um, we'll see how they develop. Um, and then hopefully I can reveal more. But yeah, exciting times. We've got quite a few things in the works. So I, I'm pretty excited for this year. And then hopefully when next year rolls around, we'll be able to roll a few of them out. So what's the best way to find and connect with From Paddock to Plate? So if you Google From Paddock to Plate, we're one or two. Um, so, so you'll find it. And then it's from paddocktoplate.com.au and just go to the website. Every single thing you need to know is there. So if you click on the program page, um, you'll see all the different resource types we have. You can sign up for a free seven-day trial. Um, lots of testimonials and references and resources are already on that page anyway so you get a good taste a good flavor of of what the program is all about Um, and all the contact details are there as well so that's definitely my first recommendation is just check it out online 
Oh, Lou, it's been so fun to chat with you. I'm sorry about all our technical ups and downs, but um, thank you. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> thank you for coming. That's living in the country for you. <laughs> yes. Oh, Sky, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute honour. The lovely Lou, isn't she divine? Another one of those great people that really has the talent to convert their ideas with huge conviction. There is another thing. Lou has started her own podcast. (laughs) It's called Small Bites from Paddock to Plate. Basically, it's short episodes discussing the most commonly researched questions about specific foods The aim is to help you with your grocery shopping, but also for it to be a quick and easy listen and something that's totally consumable. Look it up at Tasty Small Bites on Instagram. There will be more from Lou for paid subscribers of the newsletter Company on Sunday, which arrives in your mailboxes 6am bright and early on Sunday morning, just so you can read it in bed. You can get on board with it as well via the website mansonpodcasting.com chat next week.